Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 134. If you like Agricola, try out these other games. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. Hey, Anthony. Do you like Agricola as much as I do? No. Well, that's fine, because on this episode, <laughs> we're going to be talking about if you like Agricola, even if you just like it a little bit, here are some other games that you might even like better than Agricola. Or we'll definitely like better than Agricola. <laughs> I love Agricola. It's one of my favorite games. So this will be a good episode. We actually kind of come from two different spots as far as this is concerned. Yeah. Yeah. I still like all the games we're going to talk about today. I just don't necessarily like the one that begets them. Oh, so. <laughs> I love the begetter of the games, but we'll talk about that a little more on our feature review. But before we get into all of that fun with our feature, what's been going on with BGA, Anthony? Well, what hasn't been going on? We have the new website. Uh, we had the contest for Damn. a couple of weeks. So <laughs> congratulations to the winners of the contest. Uh, we have a new contest starting up in about a week or so, pending some details. We'll have more for you on that next week. And we actually just revamped our Patreon page. So if you didn't know we have a Patreon page, you should. We also mentioned it at the beginning of every episode. So... Go check it out. But we revamped it, put up the new branding, reset the goals, and we've added new reward tiers. So if you back in any form or fashion, it starts at $1 per month, you will have access to the backers-only Slack group, which we have set up. So this is a place where you can go in and you can talk to other listeners or us directly, ask questions, give us recommendations ask about certain games, whatever it is you want to do. And we'll probably have questions for you guys because we're frequently trying to figure out what we're going to talk about next and uh, what our questions of the day and the week are going to be and what features we should look at. And if there's any games we missed at a con or anything like that, that's the easiest place to go first. So definitely want to be in there if you can. Yeah. As Anthony said, this episode and the vast majority of our episodes are able to be brought to you ad free. And I know, know about you, but I listen to a lot of podcasts and having to skip through or sit through long ad periods really kind of brings me down. Not to mention you want a podcast and you want reviewers that are all about the games as far as what are the listeners looking for and what type of reviews are they looking to get. So by backing us on Patreon, you'll always know that we are there for you. You are our bosses. You are our producers. And by jumping in the Slack channel, you can actually have a voice in the future productions. Yeah, yeah. So we definitely appreciate that. And since we just reset it, you know, obviously we want to get it up um, and be able to support that. And so we can keep it ad free because it, it definitely takes uh, you know a certain amount of support to be able to make sure we can do that. So other tiers we have on here, you can for you can pick games for us to review at the two dollar per month tier. If you jump up to the five dollar per month tier, you'll be able to help us pick topics um, outside of the BGA editorial calendar. So for bonus episodes that we would record the. Higher levels, of course, if you want to get together and have a game at a convention, which, of course, we'll do anyways. But if you're a backer at the, the, the seat at the table level, we will 
schedule it. We'll put it on the calendar. You'll pick the game, bring whatever friends, and we will make sure it happens at one of the three or four cons that we are at every year, assuming you're there. So yeah, definitely check that out. Anything can help. You chuck in a buck, just help us out and keeping this show ad free and supporting everything and join the community so you can help us determine what we're going to be talking about in the weeks and months to come. Okay, that sounds good. All right, so Anthony, that's what's going on with BGA, all the brand new stuff, the new website, the new Patreon. What's going on with our listeners? What's the uh, question of the week? All righty, so for the question of the week, I asked everybody if you've ever purchased a game because you were worried about future availability. Ah. So this comes up fairly frequently. Uh, there's, It's pretty well known uh, in the board gaming community that games don't get huge printings. Most games get a few thousand copies printed at a time, and some companies don't print them again for weeks, months, years. <laughs> so um, there are frequently reasons to pick up a game, even if you don't necessarily want it right away. Uh, so I asked this question, and Bryant said uh, he picked up a couple when Asmodee bought Z-Man, picked up Fields of Arl, because he knew the price would go up. Um, I know a lot of people picked up some Z-Man games when the well, really any company's games um, when they're picked up by Asmodee because of the pricing policies. Um, Major Havoc mentioned Warhammer. Um, well, he mentioned a Warhammer game. He doesn't mention which one. But when the Fantasy Flight Games Workshop licensing agreement fell apart about a year ago, I know a lot of people picked up all those games. Fury of Dracula, Warhammer Quest, Adventure Card Game, um, Chaos in the Old World. Uh, Philip mentioned the Memoir 44 expansions, Mice and Mystics expansions, and Tail Feathers all of which I think are out of print right now, so good grab. And Michael mentioned uh, Z-Man titles in general because uh, they are infamous for not keeping those things in print. And I'm going to go ahead and second that. I've picked up several Z-Man games that maybe I would have bought, maybe I wouldn't have. I'm not really sure. And then anytime a game I own that Z-Man has an expansion, I buy it immediately. I pre-order it because they'll print, I don't know, like 25 of those. And then good luck finding it. So I found a copy of Bruges like a month ago, got lucky with that in a store, but I'm never going to find the expansion for that. Yeah, for me, there's been a bunch of games. I know we talked about this recently, how the industry's changed dramatically as far as reprinting games. There wasn't that long ago of games were out of print and they were going to stay out of print. At least that's what we thought. And with the recent acquisitions and board gaming booming, that may not be the case for every game going forward, but still not sure. The one that really I bought because I felt or knew or thought it would never come back out again was Glory to Rome. And it was a little bit of a regrettable purchase because I really wanted the black box version. And the only thing that was available at an auction was the very strange cartoony version of it. It's still an amazing game, and it's just a matter of artwork. But nonetheless, I picked that up because I thought that, and then still to this day, the Black Box version has not come out again. No, that's just sitting on that license and can't afford to do anything with it. Doesn't want to look at it after that fiasco. Yeah. So don't blame him, but at the same time, ah. It's true. Yeah, I mean, I would say the only thing, especially in the current environment, the only thing I'm really worried about never coming back is licenses. So... Like, Fantasy Flight's never going to print those licensed games again. They might take the systems and rebuild a game around them. Maybe we'll see a Star Wars version of Forbidden Stars someday. Sure. But 
you're ne- we're never going to see Chaos in the Old World again. We're never going to see uh, the Warhammer Quest adventure card game specifically or Fury of Dracula. If we do see it again, it'll be from Games Workshop and it'll cost $192. <laughs> so, you know, good reasons to pick up those other you know other licenses go away completely and then occasionally they surprise us like marvel legendary reprinted fantastic four expansion even though people were paying 150 bucks for it because they kept saying it would never come back and then it did so you never know sure cosmos reprinting pillars of the earth which was supposedly never going to come back coliseum was supposedly like in legal lockdown and that got reprinted not for the better necessarily but it got reprinted (laughs) yeah if there's a will there's a way they'll find a way to get it done especially if there's money (laughs) yes yes if if enough people want a game someone will figure out how to get their money it's true so uh it's it's still worth it sometimes but you know i I think tom says this all the time don't go spend a fortune on games because they're out of print or because you can't find them right now it'll come back eventually maybe not in the form you want maybe it'd be new artwork or a different format or a different theme but it'll come back okay so that's everything that's going on with our listeners now let's get on to our acquisition disorders so anthony what's got you biting at the bit this week Okay, so Essen is in a little more than a month, which means it's time to look at all the Euros I can't buy for another year. <laughs> Yay! Wait, maybe, maybe. Pack some plugs. There's some hope. I, I, I'm not going to put out too much hope, because if, I put to, if it's too much hope, then I'm going to be disappointed. Oh, I get that. So okay. instead, I'll just assume I can't have them until next year, and then if I find them earlier, I'll be very happy. Okay. Huh? <sighs> so we have the annual dropping of the Uwe Rosenberg releases which we tend to find out about a month before they get released, which is always nice. You don't get a ton of time to worry about it. So because it is the Agricola episode, I figured I'd mention these. Um, the big one coming is Nusfjord. So this is a worker placement game because, of course, it is set in Nusfjord. So I believe this is in Scandinavia, in Norway, and it is based on cod fishing or something. I don't know. Okay. It's <laughs> <laughs> it's a Nui Rosenberg game with worker placement in some form of agrarian uh, work. So you're going out and you're taking actions to build up your buildings and your cutters and clearing forests and building up a Nusfjord. I don't really know much about it because they just announced it not too long ago, but it is a big box game. You just like Um, to say Fjord over and over again. It's fun. Nusfjord. And it, I believe they said it's coming out at Essen plays one to five players, which is my favorite player counts. And it is not another one of the tiling games. It's a big one, um, but it's not quite as of a behemoth as uh, the last one. Um, it's Viking masterpiece for some of us. So that's Newsfjord. Looking forward to that. And speaking of tiling games, we have Indian Summer, which is a tiling game. Uh, it is... It is a polyomino game, and it is, they're saying it's the second in the puzzle trilogy, which I didn't know was a thing, but I'm happy it's a thing because I like Cottage Garden. Now, if it ends up in the hands of the um, people who put out Cottage Garden here in the U.S., Stronghold Games, I don't know that I'll pick up that version. I might as well import it because the pricing on that is a little out of control. Mm-hmm. But uh, I do like the polyominoes. I like the puzzle aspect. This one, I believe... Again, don't know too much about it, but it is the same artist as Cottage Garden, and it is about being out in nature. So you have squirrels and foxes and different kinds of birds and 
you get the idea. So <laughs> various things printed on them that you'll find if you go for a nice walk in the New England summer when the leaves are starting to change color. So nice and relaxing outdoor game. And that one will also be one that I track down and will be very excited about if they also have it as in. So is that going to be like the new Takedo game? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's it's still a puzzle game. So sure. if you're not a puzzle game guy like me, you're going to look at it and be like, why would I play this? Uh-huh. Um, but I look at this and say, yay, puzzles. So, <laughs> Well, someone's got to. I, I, I guess yeah. that's a thing. All right. There's enough of us, apparently, because he keeps making them. So, <laughs> And this is only the second one. There's going to be a third one. I well, didn't even know that. You know, after Star Wars, everything's got to be a trilogy. So yeah, yeah, I just love that there's a puzzle trilogy. <laughs> Even I'm wondering what exactly you're going to do in this game that you haven't done in the other three games that use this exact same mechanic. But hey, I'll still pick it up and I'll probably enjoy it. All right, I'm sure they'll all fit together perfectly. <laughs> yeah, it'd be nice if actually the boxes somehow linked together. That would be pretty neat. Okay, awesome. I know. All right. Well, I want to talk to you about a Kickstarter that is currently out there seeking funding, and this is Zipang Portable. This is a uh, quick playing card game. Think of Love Letter, but add to it a pool mechanic where you have your monies or Mangoku coins that are being add to the add to the pot, and then you have cards that battle it out in this 17th century Japan. The cards will have a strength value and they'll also have an honor value. So when it comes to battling as far as facing each other, just like in Love Letter where there's that chance where you actually have to match the power and see whoever wins, that person is able to knock out the other person. Same thing here. There's going to be power as far as strength is concerned on these cards. And there's also gonna be honor on this card. So once again, a little bit like Love Letter, where at the end of the game, the most honor wins. So you want to have the highest number there. But the cards themselves, once again, just like Love Letter, very different. They each have a special power or ability, or once again, their strength or their honor is different. The cards with the highest honor are going to do some really kind of thematic things as far as mixing the pool up, looking at other people's hands, And then the strength cards are just there to knock people around there. So this campaign runs to Friday, September 22nd. They're looking for a stretch goal of $8,000. And they are currently at $7,334 as far as the time of this recording. So if you'd like a quick, plain, love letter, light, pool building, knock the other people out kind of game with some outstanding Japanese artwork, uh, Z-Pang Portable would be a great game to uh, go on there and back. So with our acquisition disorders done, now on to our games at the table. So Anthony, what are we talking about this week? We are talking about Vikings. Ah, yes. Yes, and specifically the Viking invasion of England in 878. So this is a brand new game from Academy Games based on... So the system is pulled from their Birth of America series. So we've spoken at length about how much we like 1775 Rebellion. Mm -hmm. And so this game is very similar to that in terms of mechanics, but it takes place in 9th century England with the Viking invasion. So you're you're saying it's not a phone number, right? It's not 878 Vikings? (laughs) We literally last week counted up the letters to see if this could be a a phone number. I didn't end up calling it, but I kind of want to. 
whoever that person is, they're going to be in trouble at some point. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. So if you're listening to this, definitely don't dial 878 Vikings. That's true. Because we'll And if you definitely don't do it, definitely don't tell us what happens. Definitely don't. Hopefully they're uh, vi- of Viking descent. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> that'd be a great phone number birth of europe series now i know there's some other ones coming out in the future but the first one is 878 vikings it was kickstarted, which means there are a whole bunch of extra little bits and bobbles that came out as expansions we'll talk a little bit about that later um and then the game itself has miniatures instead of cubes so the original games all the units were cubes uh, in the birth of america series now they are very tiny little itty bitty miniatures The core idea of the game is the same as those other games. You have two sides that are asymmetrical in power to some degree. And on each side, there are two factions. So you can play the game two players or four players. And how that works is each of those factions on the side has their own deck of cards and their own miniatures. They work together. They can move together, but they each get their own turn. And so when you're pulling turn markers out of this bag, because it's blind every round, who gets to go when. Uh, You might have the English House Carl go, and then the Viking Berserkers, and then the English Thanes, and then the Viking Norsemen, or a completely different order. So if you're playing two players, it's not you're not actually trying to juggle two different factions at the same time. You just have two sets of cards, and they influence different colored worker, or different colored um, units on the map. Now, Where this game differs pretty significantly is that you have the English, who at the beginning of the game have a lot of units on the map and get a lot of units every round, but they're defending England. So they need to maintain those city shires, keep them from being overrun. The Vikings have a pretty unique mechanic, at least for this series, in that they have these leaders that come out every round, and the leaders are loaded up with all these Viking Norsemen and Berserkers, and they come to one of the shores, depending on what stage of the game it is, and they stomp all over the map. And as they move, they'll battle, and they can leave behind all those troops. Um, So rather than following the basic rules, which we'll get to in a second, you can basically run roughshod over the map. But if you do too much of that, it can lead to issues in overextending yourself. So there are a lot of nuances and little intricacies in the rules. I'm not going to get into all that. We don't have, you know, we don't want to talk about this too forever. But the basic idea of the game is you have a reinforcements phase at the beginning where everybody's going to take reinforcements based on the, um, the what's printed on the map. So the English get reinforcements in different city shires where it'll tell you where they get them. And you get as many as there are available. And, you know, a few rounds into the game, you tend to run out. You're also going to take any of the units that ran away in previous battles, and you're going to put those out as well. Um, You have the leader phase, and the leader phase is when you draw that new leader for the Vikings, and you move all of those um, units onto there. It'll tell you on the card. And then you move your leaders around the map. So the Viking leader phase is separate from the standard movement phase, but it will still use a card to move the unit. uh, So... It, it basically it's the same, but you get a little bit of extra things you can do. The typical movement phase, what it is, is you have these cards that tell you how many armies you can move and how far they can move, and then you'll move those armies independently. With the leader, you move that leader and all of the units on his card, and every time he runs into enemies, you battle. So, which is a little bit different because if a typical army moves, 
then you do all the battles at the end of the round. And so in the battle phase, whether that happens in the leader phase or in the typical battle phase, you're going to take dice equal to the number of units. So you have a certain number of uh, Thane dice and a certain number of Housecarl dice, a certain number of Berserker dice, a certain number of Norseman dice. Uh, and you will use as many as them are available up to the number of units that are out there. So if you have a ton of units, you'll get all five of those dice. If you only have a couple of units, you only get those many dice. On the dice, you have hits, you have flee, which means they run away from battle and go, basically they're gone until the next round. And then you have command, and the command basically lets you move them to an adjacent area if you want. There's also some additional things to consider here because each of the dice for the different factions has a different number of those icons. Berserkers are great, for example. They never flee. They just attack. But the housecarls are not very great and run away all the time. So you have to be careful in terms of, you know, adding up the odds of getting the hits you need. Once you're done with all that, you go to the draw phase, you draw up to three cards, and then you move on to the next person. So what ends up being is like this push and pull back and forth. The English will build up their defenses. The Vikings will come in and wipe it all out. And the game ends in one of a few ways. It ends if the Vikings control all the city shires on the map. So if you get up to, I think it's 17, it ends if the English can keep all of the city shires free of the Vikings. This is the end of the round, of course. And then there's a third way where you'll bring out these treaty cards. So some of the movement cards you have are treaties. If one side plays both of their treaty cards, then you'll check for the game end condition from the fifth round on. So basically halfway through the game, you'll now look and see, do the Vikings have nine or more or of these markers out, or is it fewer than that? And if it's more than that, the Vikings win. If it's fewer than that, the English win. And that's, again, the second half of the game. So again, it's this push, it's this pull, it's this constant back and forth. You're trying to make sure that you're not necessarily going to be able to wipe them out at any point in time unless the other side makes a mistake or rolls really poorly. But you also want to make sure you're set up for later. You have units that are in the south, if you're the English, that aren't very useful, uh, but you want to start moving them up as soon as you can because you can run out of units. And so if you just start stockpiling all these units in the south during reinforcement phase, then by round three or four, you don't have anything to reinforce up north. So you really have to be thinking about several different things at a time. It's very, very interesting. I like this system anyways. You know, I really like 1775. I backed the 1754, uh, which is a, the third entry in the Birth of America series. I enjoy this as a two-player game. I really enjoy the app as well for 1775. So I was excited about Vikings, and I really like the idea of the asymmetry uh, between the Vikings and the English. Some people have said that the Vikings are overpowered. I haven't really found that. I found that it's really just they play very differently. If you play too offensively with the English, you're going to lose. You need to play defensively. They have bonuses when defending a city, for example, they can bring out extra, basically they enlist farmers to help who are pretty useless and can't hit anything, but they, you know, you can put them out front and they take up hits. But all of this is, it's very unique to both sides. So when you're teaching the game, you have to make sure, regardless of what you're doing, that you're teaching the other side what they need to be doing, because it will be different. So I know we both got a chance to play this. Chris, what was your experience with this game? When I first looked at this game, I was like, well, this is probably going to be just more of the same. 
I always like to see a system I'm familiar with so it's not as difficult to get to the table or teach other people. And 1775 has such a good pedigree behind it. And Academy Games typically does not just a great production or just a great system, but historically everything kind of matches up really well. So it tends to attract a lot of different types of gamers to the table who typically wouldn't play these types of games. So that's always very satisfying for me because when I'm purchasing a game like this, it's, you know, it's a financial investment. And if I'm going to put at the table, I want people to play. And by this game being so well-rounded on so many different things, I haven't had a problem getting players to the table. Now, I've played this game with multiple player counts, and I'm happy to say that it plays well with all player counts. It does feel the most tense, one versus one. You, it, you're really on your own, and I've played both sides as you said, as far as the English is concerned, you want to play defensively because your reinforcements build up very slowly. So if you can hold the Viking invasion off, which once again is very historical, early on, and you can kind of keep at least the middle regions somewhat together, late game, you're in a very, very good position. But for the Vikings, you just want to kind of just ram in there as quickly as possible, but hopefully not burn out your troops on that first invasion step because you're eventually going to get the other cube and then if the first invasion burns out the second you know controlling army has nothing really to do at that point so it's a careful balance as far as tacking in and defending and of course there are times where as the english you do want to attack the viking army before they kind of settle in for good i've enjoyed this game i think that once again a 1v1 a two-player game it probably plays best I did play a three-player game, and that was really interesting to face two opponents and kind of come in with the Viking army and listen to them kind of strategize what they're going to do and then kind of rejoice when they think something went their way and be really upset when things don't go their way and passing dice back and forth. The invasion mechanic here is very different than 1775, and it really does add something to the game because you're never really sure where the Vikings are going to come in and how necessarily you're going to defend. Obviously, you know they're coming in from the North Sea, at least initially, but you're not really sure what area and what spot they're coming in for. So I like that. I actually like this better than 1775. So this gets a high recommendation for me. This, as far as the series is concerned, it's a play. And if this is your type of game, I would say it moves it up to a buy as far as this historical context is concerned. Yeah, for me, this was an easy buy. Um, 1775 is one of my favorite games. I love the historical elements of it. I, I've Academy Games is one of those companies that I just kind of discovered uh, originally with Freedom and then with 1775, where everything is so imbued with the history and the stories behind these things and the people. This game really di- dives into the people who are in these stories, and that's just a fun additional element to the game it doesn't come out a ton when you're out at game night but at home when learning the game or just flipping through it it's just a fun additional thing you get to do and it you can really feel it in the gameplay and this particular game you know compared to the birth of america series is just that much more thematic because they made the jump to things like the leader standees and the uh the miniatures i know people at first were like oh miniatures why is that needed but 
after playing with them, I really do like it. The cubes are great and they're probably a little bit easier to use because uh, you don't have to stand them up necessarily and they're easier to count out. But this is just fun. It's just nice. So yeah, it's an easy buy for me. All right. Well, I want to talk about the Vikings Age expansion. Now, a number of different miniature kind of expansions, painted, extra additional kind of things. But I want to talk about three of them really quickly. First up, the leaders miniatures. Now, as I said, I like to have as much theme that's thematic as as possible in a game. So not just, how would you say it, art for art's sake, but as far as does it actually play a significant role in the gameplay? Does it make the gameplay better? So as far as the leaders miniatures are concerned, this is a very small kind of addition to the game. The miniatures themselves are really nicely detailed. I know on the Kickstarter page you could actually get them painted. These are kind of worthy of painting. They're so nicely detailed. You do get little kind of um, standees in the game. So you don't need these miniatures, but they're a nice little addition, especially what I do with the game is I have the miniatures on the board and I have the standees next to the car on the table so that my opponent can see which Viking armies are out there without having to kind of crane their neck over too much to take a look at the card. So that was very nice. So as far as the miniatures are concerned, it's not necessary. I would say it's a play or as far as an expansion goes, it's a little bit more of the same. There's also building miniatures that go along with the Vikings Age expansion, like the large expansion, which I'll talk about in a second. You're going to get Viking houses, churches, and fort walls here. Now, I like this one even more because I think it adds a lot of theme to the game, especially when it, when you play with the actual modules that, that come with the game. So I would say if you're going to buy the game and you want to have one particular, I guess, small kind of expansion, the miniatures are great because they look so nice on the board. And they really reinforce the fact that this invasion is not just a one-time attack, but they're, the Vikings are taking over the land and that there are churches on the island that you really want to defend so it adds a lot more to the game now for the vikings age expansion itself as far as all the different modules are concerned they do a number of different things that can be added together or just a one-off and it gives you something new to play with as far as the game's concerned so first off i'm going to go through them really quickly so the first expansion here is the war for lands and gods now this adds churches to the, to the map. So as the English is concerned, you are protecting the churches. The Vikings are trying to take all those churches out for a win condition. When the Vikings do take out a church, then what happens now is there's a plunder token for that church. So now the Christians get very upset and now they can kind of come into battle and help out the English. There's also English forts that allow you to get extra dice in the game or extra units so it adds a little bit more to the game as far as, as I said, this kind of ongoing settlement. Their expansion number two has kingdoms. Now these kingdom cards are going to give a bonus to either the English or the Vikings, depending on who controls them. And once again, it's just going to slightly alter the gameplay as far as what units come on the board, how you can spread those units out. But what I like about this particular expansion is it focuses your strategy a little bit more because you want to take over those areas or you want to defend those areas and just adds a little bit more to the theme. There's a King's expansion, which adds another card to your hand that doesn't count towards your hand total. And that's going to give you a special ability. There is a runes and prayer card expansion where you'll be rolling dice to get 
special abilities through your particular religion that will alter the battle. That's pretty interesting. There is Relics and Holy Sites expansion, which has all these unique tokens that are going to give either your Viking armies or your English areas special abilities. And then, of course, when the armies or that areas is occupied or the army is destroyed, then those special abilities go away. Then there is Legends expansion, which is my favorite expansion of the bunch because you're going to get kind of a secret goal that no one else is going to be able to see. So for the Vikings, you're going to get those when you get armies. For the English, you're going to get that at the start of the second round and going forward. And that just lets you put a token on or off the board, depending on how that goes. There is a deck for epic battles. So if you want to kind of add like global effect as far as the game's concerned, that's a pretty neat expansion. And there is also an ex a mini expansion for Viking ships. This is a pretty interesting one because when you play the base game, you don't really take into consideration where the ships are landing so much. These tokens allow adjacency throughout the board. So you put one token up top, you put one token a little bit lower, and then what you'll be able to do is the troops will be adjacent thanks to the ships. Not to worry, the English can go in there and burn the ships down, which stops that kind of adjacency. And then finally, the last expansion is a Legendary Leaders expansion, which brings in two Viking leaders that, once again, are super powerful, very thematic, and yet at the same time, not so overpowered that you couldn't play with that with a new group of players. So for Viking Age expansion, this is a buy. This really adds a lot to the game, a lot of flexibility that you haven't seen before. As I said, the invasion mechanic makes the game a solid play. I would say with the Viking Age expansion, it brings the game up to a buy. The miniatures are good. They're nice to have, but they're decorative. They add a little theme to the game as far as what's going on the board. But the Viking Age expansion, I would say, is a essential expansion to your 878 Vikings. Yeah, this stuff looks awesome. I haven't had a chance to get it to the table yet, so I'm glad you had. <laughs> All this stuff showed up, and I was... I've, honestly, I've played the, the base game a few times, and I'm excited really just to add anything to this system, and to hear that it's that good is pretty cool. Yeah, I always love asymmetrical powers, and having an extra card in your hand is always a lot of fun. I especially like those hidden goals, and I like the kingdoms. So just giving you a sense of, like, this area really needs to be defended or this area really needs to be taken over is a lot of fun. Okay, so that's our At The Table. Now on to our feature review. As we said earlier, Agricola is probably one of the biggest games out there in the board gaming industry. Anthony and I have played it multiple times over the years, and I'm sure you have too. Uwe Rosenberg has done an outstanding job with this game. And when you think about worker placement games, inevitably, you've got to talk about Agricola. It's kind of like the granddaddy of it all. It's a very thematic farming game in which you're trying to provide for your small but growing family and hopefully build up enough food to be able to score victory points. Now, this game is, once again, very thematic, very tight, and you're kind of biting your nails throughout the whole thing. And yet at the same time, when you're able to provide for your family and meet all the different goals, because Agricola producing enough uh, vegetables having enough animals and hitting enough of the uh, special cards that you get at the beginning of the game is essential for victory. But there are a lot of other games that have come after Agricola that really kind of take its essence and does something different. So Anthony, why don't you start us off with, because 
while I am one of the biggest fanboys for Agricola, I know you're not so much. So what other games should people check out? Yeah, I don't know. This was a tough one for me because it was like, well, we need to do it because we haven't done it. But I don't like this game. I love so. this game. <laughs> I know you do. And I don't get I mean, I get it. I mean, I get it. But I don't know. It's just something about the whole mess up in the first 30 minutes, spend two and a half hours being like, man. So, yeah, if you if you mess up in Agricola, you're going to pay for that for the rest of the game. And the initial card play, whether you're drafting or you just get a hand of cards, is pretty it's pretty rough. I mean, that's really the only thing that doesn't make it a perfect game for me, because if you don't know those decks of cards that are coming into play, you're going to have a bad time. Yeah. So I've had a bad time. These games I, I have had a better time with, and some of them are in many ways similar to Agricola, maybe not directly similar. So like we said, if you really want a game like Agricola, just play Rosenberg's other games. These games are not Rosenberg's other games. These are games that are similar, not necessarily in theme, but in the feel that they give you. That would so, be too obvious. Yes, exactly. That would be kind of funny, though. <laughs> <laughs> just troll everybody. Try Cavernon. <laughs> Oren Labora, Lahav. Good night, everybody. <laughs> but yeah, no, we have six games that are not by Rosenberg. So okay. that's good, right? That's our caveat here. Yes. So the first one on the list is Viticulture. And this is the wine growing game from Stonemeyer Games, from Jamie Stegmeyer. And it's been released in like eight different versions now. If you're going to pick it up now, I think you have Viticulture, the Essential Edition, and then Tuscany Essential Edition, which is the expansion which I do recommend, but is not 100% required anymore because the essential viticulture adds a couple of things into it. So it, it's up to you, I guess, how much viticulture you want. But it's it's a worker placement game. It's about opening and running a vineyard and selling wine. It's light and accessible for a midweight euro, but not too light as to be a turnoff for people who like Agricola. And plus side, it has an expansion of uh, more cards that were made by Uwe Rosenberg. So there's a little bit of a crossover appeal here. Well, a game that I want to talk about since we we're talking about cards is Through the Ages. Or in its new iteration, Through the Ages, a new story of civilization that just came out in 2015 by Czech Games, is a game all about cards. And those cards are essential for building up your civilization. So you are constantly building up a tableau that's going to allow you to gain resources to build up the machinery that will benefit you throughout the generations. Very similar to Agricola as far as when you're building up this little family farm, you're building up for nine, 10 rounds later, and what you do early on does depend on what happens later. And Through the Ages and Agricola are very tight, tight games, but when you do accomplish something based upon something you did many, many rounds before. And when it comes to Through the Ages, a new story of civilization, it is many rounds before. This is a heavy, long game. You do feel a sense of achievement. And that's really one of the reasons why I love both of these games. All right, so another one up for me is Hashbullnecht. This is a, it's a game about coal, coal mining. So you're a farmer and you find coal on your land and you're trying to get it up and feed your family at the same time. And it's, so it's, the way it was originally described to us when we first sat down to play it with Clay at Gen Con last year is a slightly less punishing version of Agricola that takes about an hour to play, which I think is a perfect way to describe this game because it's similar in a lot of ways. It's not necessarily a worker placement, although you do have, you know, 
certain work their discs i don't even really know what they represent but you draft these different discs uh from the main board and then you place these on various worker spots on your personal board and then you take actions to grow food or cut wood or mine coal and pull it up it it is a pretty quick game with the expansion you do add a full round so turns it into about a 90 minute game um, which i do recommend you do because it just doesn't feel quite complete unless you have that expansion um on there but it is very similar in feel but without quite as much punishment you don't feel quite as bad if you make a mistake in this game you can still get punished if you don't have uh, the taxes that you need to pay at the end of every year it doesn't necessarily mean you lose the game has a bit of a tech tree where you can upgrade and get new abilities as you go along and you can use those abilities to kind of improve your approach to coal mining it's coal mining, but it somehow manages to capture all those things. It makes a good medium weight euro work. It's just accessible. It's quick. It's easy to teach. And it's a lot of fun. So another game that really embodies Agricola's sense of worker placement and providing resources to kind of build a better future is Orleans. Now, it isn't so much a worker placement game as it is a bag building game. But when you take your worker placement spots on the board you are going to get additional workers that are going to be help you be able to produce resources that, once again, you'll be able to turn into points. Once again, very tight game. You are maneuvering to get on the top of these different tracks that'll be able to score you victory points at the end of the game. You're collecting resources. You are building up technologies, just like an Agricola. So a very tight, rich game and yet at the same time, a different experience of this kind of medieval world that's benefiting from farmers, merchants, knights, and monks. All right. And so the last game I wanted to mention is Brew Crafters. This is a game from Greater Than Games, previously Dice Hate Me Games, designed by Ben Rossett. I believe it came out about four years ago. It was on Kickstarter, actually. And it is a game, as you might expect, about brewing beer. Uh, and so the game very poignantly uh, mentions its roots. It talks about Agricola and Puerto Rico is kind of the games that uh, beget this game as in terms of, you know, the worker placement elements and the resources being tight and you're fighting over the malt and the yeast and the fruit and the spices and the markets. But it's different, of course, because you're doing something um, slightly unique in terms of board games. Now, there's games about beer, but nothing like this heavy or this involved. Uh, there's a lot of games about farming. So if you're looking for a game that is similar in weight uh, and the kind of interesting but tough decisions you get to make in Agricola, but has a bit of a different theme and a bit of a different uh, flow to it. It is a bit of a fiddly game, too. There are, I can't even count how many bits are in here. You definitely need some kind of organizer for it, but it's definitely rewarding. And if you are a fan of microbrews and beer or wine in your games, I just realized that I, I picked a beer and a wine game for my games. <laughs> Oh, that doesn't say anything about me. But if you want something a little bit different where you're not just, you know, raising sheep and growing wheat, give brew crafters a try. Oh, I'm not sure where the coal comes in, but otherwise, I think you got a problem, man. Well, I mean, coal mining is a hard job. You need, you need a drink at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> and you and you do live in Pittsburgh, so it does kind of all work There you out. go. There you nice. go. All right. So my final game is a Stefan Feld game, because if you're talking about building up a civilization, and especially of indigenous native people, you want to talk about Bora Bora. 
Now, Bora Bora has a lot of similarities to Agricola as far as building up your kind of your family and your little civilization on this beautiful island. Such a colorful, intricate board that benefits off placing dice. So instead of placing meeples, you're placing dice, and based upon the power of that die, you're going to get a number of action from that, those dies. Now, this Aaliyah game really hasn't hit the table enough with too many people, but this is really the fell that you want to take a look at if you like those tight building games as far as creating the, the best possible action and hitting those victory point goals as the game goes on. So Bora Bora, colorful, light, fun, and yet dynamically challenging and as, as tight in some cases as Agricola. Okay, so those are six games that if you like Agricola, you should really try out those games. Whether you are a total Agricola fanboy or a total not <laughs> Agricola fanboy, <laughs> you'll love these games. Okay, so that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a spot on our Viking invasion fleet when we head on to the table. <laughs>